LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and I'm here today with Daniel M. Hello, hello. And another very special guest. Do you know how to say his last name? No. Yeah. Well, you almost got his first name. It's not no, it's Noel. <laughs> but oh, his last name. I see what you did. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I... I'm going to judge you on your bio. Because you guys know each other well. Well, every know time... Well each other. Okay. Each other. I think it's Heikinen <laughs> or Heikinen, but every time I look at it, I see Heineken. Heineken. Yeah. <laughs> so. and, and honestly, I get that literally once a week my entire life. But it, it's not none of the things that you said. It's Heikinen. Like you're, Heikinen. Like you're yelling at me like, hey, Kinnon. Okay. Okay. So, hey, so uh, I know your wife is Korean. That's true. What was her maiden last name? Uh, Kim. So okay. So, so we both have the we both have our nationalities version of Smith. So okay, Haken yeah. is one of the most popular Finnish last names. Kim is one of the most popular Korean last names. So we are the most generic people you'll ever meet. Okay. So I have to ask this. I have to ask this because how do people say your last name in a Korean accent? They don't. Like, because yeah, they probably don't know how to. Gosh, even I I can't recall the last time I heard a Korean try to say my last name. <laughs> they probably okay, just well, look at it and they're like, except for no. you, tried to say it a few minutes ago. I, I uh, yeah, I, I just but no. I didn't do it in a Korean accent. No, no, honestly, or, gosh, you I did it in a Canadian accent, yeah, which is really confusing. which is even better. Everybody listening is confused now. Yes. Okay. All right. So enough of that. The Noel. only thing I know about <laughs> Finland is guns. So we probably should move on. And I know hockey. Suomi. <laughs> Suomi, right? Yeah. Suomi is. Yeah. That's, that's, I have one. It's from 1935 and it's a beautiful, beautiful. Oh, wait. Instrument. What are you talking about? A Suomi 31. <laughs> it's actually uh, what the Russians stole. It's actually the great grandfather of an AK forty seven, which we probably shouldn't talk about on. So, here, but, but but do you know what do you know what that word means? Salmi means. No, it's a Finlander. Yeah. So Sumalainen would be a, a Finlander. So uh, you're saying Finland. So that the name of that gun is Finland. Yeah. And it's the, beautiful. And the only reason I know that is because when Canada plays in the Olympics and the Worlds and and they play Finland, their jersey right. always says Suomi. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Okay. Fascinating. Yes. See, and now, we, we, after we, everyone has already fast forwarded <laughs> through all of that, they went forward twice now. Okay. 15 seconds, 15 seconds. All right. So, Noel is the pastor at Riverview Church in Lansing, Michigan. He is the author of Unchained and a brand new book, Wretched Saints. It's a great book that I had the privilege of uh, reading early and endorsing. So, definitely check those two books out. But, Noel and I met, this is when I was up at Beulah, uh, up in Edmonton before I came down, of which I'm now going back. Well, uh, by the time this is live, I will be back in Edmonton, back at that church. But we did a, a, a kind of a cohort together, a leadership development. Really? Yeah, leadership development cohort. So. Has his beard game always been this strong? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I know. I just, I just, you know. Well, it's getting, about it bias, depends that's on, an important it's getting insight. grayer as, as time goes by. Um, but it, I'm not sure it's getting any stronger. I mean, I think it's getting weaker with the gray. <laughs> but... Noel, remember you posted that that um, 
that meme of that other old guy dancing. Oh yeah. I got so that many looked people exactly said that like that you. to me. Yeah. So many people said that to me. Is, is this you? That is not me, but it was oh, incredible. It was crazy. Yeah. Like legit. I was like, that is Noel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So right. we're going to be doing the five leadership <laughs> questions we with Noel. Yeah. Uh, so if you are in the Acts 29 world, you definitely know who Noel is. Uh, he's influential in that tribe and in church planting and, and all the work. And, and if you're thinking about plurality and leadership, right? I know we've talked about on the podcast multiple times, the church I'm at um, or I was at in Nashville, well, we do a plurality in leadership type of model, but they, Knowles Church is way further down the road. So be sure to check out Riverview Church in Michigan, Noel uh, Hakenen, uh, if you want to learn more about that. But let's get into the questions. All right. So, Noel, who are you currently learning from? Well, um, and of course I knew the question was coming, but I still say, mm, wow, because, <laughs> because the you know, last, the so last summer, uh, a year ago, I took a sabbatical and, uh, one of the reasons I took the sabbatical is my co-pastors, um, said to me, uh, that they were concerned that I was not going to finish well if I didn't. And there's a whole hmm. bunch of stuff that's behind that. Um, but what started last summer and is can continued since then is I am learning more and more from people who have a tonal posture that doesn't draw hard lines in the sand <laughs> because, mm. um, and so I love the guys at Mockingbird. Uh, so Dave Zoll and, um, and, um, everybody over there as well as like even just a lot of Jared Wilson stuff lately, uh, even that in, especially on social media, just the tonal quality of, having a more ironic posture toward people instead of polemic. And I think mm -hmm. in my harsher days in my, in my life, I gravitate toward uh, polemic when it comes to my own views and I gravitate toward ironic <laughs> when how I want everybody else to approach me. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's guys like, yeah, like Dave Zoll and Jared Wilson who have this, um, they know what they believe they're going to stand for it, but they're going to do it in a way that makes me feel loved and cared for. Even when we disagree, those are the types of people I'm learning from. And I just keep finding myself falling back. Even like during my sabbatical, I wish I could remember who wrote it. There was a secular business book called crucial conversations. That was yeah. essentially the same thing. It was how to have a, a posture toward people in difficult conversations that, um, just makes people feel loved. And I, I think I'm, it's something I've needed to grow in and, and, uh, those are the kind of people I'm reading these days. So what was the effect? Talk, talk a little bit more about the sabbatical and, and what the effect of that was. And if you saw that big change before and after and yeah, just tease that out. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's harder when it's yourself to say that you've seen a big change, but I think other people have told me that they have, but basically, um, they were just noticing, I don't rest well, first of all, um, that kind of guy. Um, but I also, when I got stressed, they were noticing that I was becoming more abrasive. And we've all seen in the last number of years, the number of significant leaders that have gone downhill and crashed and burned and lost their ministries over that. And my guys here were wise enough to say, we don't think you're there 
but we're concerned you might get there if you don't take some intentional time. And that was kind of, you know, I thought, what are you talking about? This is clearly not yeah. me you're talking to. Um, but uh, through uh, getting some coaching, getting some counseling, uh, I'm going to sound like a Christian cliche here, but studying my Enneagram. <laughs> mm. um, yes. What's your number? Um, I am a three, eight um, or an eight, three, depending on how the wind blows. Um, yeah. And okay. so that me you, it, and all of the the stuff that comes with being an eight and all the stuff that comes with being a three has got me nailed. And mm. so I've learned a lot about myself. And so even going through that process and then coming back in the fall, it was just, it was, it was a joy to be in a church where they didn't just wad me up and throw me into the corner. Like you see it happen with so many guys, but they said, listen, we want to help. How do we structure your world? so that you can, you can end well. And so even the meeting we had this morning with all of our directors was we now have a, a five-year vision. And I said, guys, this is something I can give my life to, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, getting that second wind of the second half of my ministry career through this process. And so it's been really good. That's so good. That's so good. Now you're sitting with a three, that's me. And then Todd is an eight. So, so, so let's dig a little bit deeper there, uh, peel another layer of the onion back. And how are you now? Um, how are you now kind of making sure that you're living into your true self, right? Rather than going to achievements and, uh, you know, basing your identity on achievements or on, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Well, one of the big aha moments for me, which is really interesting was that when I am feeling safe and secure, I actually go to the fun place. Um, yeah, and okay. and what I realized looking back over the last several years but leading up to the sabbatical was I was no longer having fun and I was no longer playful in my relationships with people. And then at the very start of my sabbatical, I then got really gun shy. Like if I am playful and sarcastic and all those things that I am naturally, that that is going to play into the weak side of being, especially an eight and all the stuff that they were challenging me on. So then I, I got further, started walking on eggshells. And I think one of the biggest things for me is being both playful and being sensitive to where my playfulness gets misread by people in other Enneagram profiles. So even this morning, I, this morning, a true story, just this morning at our director's meeting, uh, there was one guy who joined us via uh, his cell phone. So he was on Spearphone and I totally forgot he was there. He was with us for like an hour. And then at the end, everybody said hi to him. And I said, Hey, I totally forgot you were on the call. And I said, that was the best input you've ever given in a meeting. And I saw two people in the room gasp who are not as sarcastic as me. And I said, well, there I go. I just, so now I am, mm. what is happening is I'm realizing when I do it, I really quickly realize I did it. And so then I okay, can still be playful, right. but at the same time, be cognizant of when I've crossed the line. And so I'm already planning on looping back That's with those good. two people and saying, Hey, listen, I know I said this, I was really trying to just be playful. And I, I overstepped that. I think one of the most important things, you know, as we look at uh, different tests, whether it's a DISC profile, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, um, any any test like that that you do, one of the most important things I think that go along with that in tandem is if you're going to 
do the personality thing, also do an emotional intelligence um, test as well. Because, you know, self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, social management is vitally important. And there are things that, you know, sometimes we're not aware of, but once, you know, we walk through a process like that, that we can say, you know, like you, hey, I'm going to put maybe a framework in place or something in place, or at least have some people, invite some people to speak into my life to say, hey, you may not have seen this here, but... You know, I'm convinced that um, I had a, a a boss or two along the way that had a reminder in their calendar to ask me about my personal life because that would not be what they would normally do, mm. in a, you know, in the course of a meeting. Things like that um, that I think are really important and stuff that I don't sometimes naturally do as well. I got to I got to almost program program those things as an eight. I got to program those things in, well, or I may. Yeah, and 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 going back to that uh, that crucial conversations book, one of the things that they talk about is a conversation leapfrogs from a normal conversation to a crucial conversation when the stakes are high. There's potential for disagreement, and there's a potential for high emotion. And so, for me, a lot of times it's it's before I go into a meeting making the decision: is this does this meeting have the potential to have these three? Th- things be present. And if they are, what happens is we all tell ourselves something we tell ourselves a story in the millisecond after somebody says something and we frame what they said in that story. And then you take that and you lay it alongside Mm. somebody's Enneagram profile and you begin to get a guess of what the story is that they're going to tell. So the people who gasped, what they're thinking is that the guy on the call is going to feel hurt uh, by me and feel like he's not valuable. And do I really believe that he doesn't give good input in meetings, you know, and because of their profile, because they want peace, they'll, they'll say, Oh man, Noel just disrupted the peace. Um, mm. and, and so when you kind of realize the story that's going to be told in that second, that really, for me, has been super helpful. And being able to have other people, like you said, be able to say, hey, Noel, when you said this, this is the story everybody probably told themselves about you. <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah, it's that's really huge. Good. That's huge. That's, that's, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. The next question is uh, all about what you're focusing on right now, what the main point of emphasis is for your leadership team, um, for yourself. So I'd love for you to talk about the vision that you want to give the rest of your life to. But before you do that, uh, you know, the one that you had just mentioned with your church, why don't you tell our listeners about your social annual social media fest? Oh yeah. So I, every year, uh, and I've done this for gosh, so long that I, I'm not sure I remember how long I've been doing it. Um, I take the month of July Um, off of social media for sure. So Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, all that kind of stuff. But then I usually have other things that I'm finding are tonally changing my perspective or absorbing my time in a disproportionate way. And I take them away as well. So this year I Mm. don't, I deleted the news apps from my phone and I committed myself Mm. to only get my news every day from Spotify's daily uh, daily drive thing. And that's the only okay. place I get my news right now. So I'm not online. I'm not, so things happening in the world. I don't know about them right now unless, you know, NPR did a 30 second piece on it. So, um, yeah. and so I find that that, uh, discipline 
has a different results every single year. So some years I look forward to it and I'm like, I cannot wait. And then there's years where I'm like, I'm like, I don't feel like there's any pressure. And then, then there's years that I, I almost feel like I'm detoxing. Like the first week I'm having, I'm in, in the corner in a ball and shaking and sweating because I want to be on social media. So every year it's been different this year. I really, really, really was finding myself getting really worked up about news and so I knew that that had to be part of the fast. And then I just, I just completely get rid of it. And I just d- delete all the uh, bookmarks. I delete all the apps off my phone. Um, and the, some years when I've been more severe, I've really reset my phone and made my phone a dumb phone with only mm. um, phone calls and texting. And there's been some years where I fasted from email as well. And I just said, I'm not mm. going to even talk to anybody via email for the month. So it's, it's, That's it's a, a great really, idea. And, 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 and being not rigid and legalistic about what I do every year, knowing social media will be part of it, um, but that I just need to change it each year based on what I need. That's helpful. And that's, I think that's something that, all leaders can begin thinking about, you know, what does that look like to work up to something like that too? Because, you know, it's so easy for social media to become an idol. Now, Todd, just because Noel said that thing about email doesn't mean that you can permanently ignore email or turn it off. (laughs) Permanently, right? (laughs) And, you know, as he said that, I recognize that in my own life, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, like I go through um, stages where, I mean, I listen to NPR every day until I just, it affects my attitude mm-hmm. uh, and everything else. And then I turn it off. So like right now, it's probably been almost a month since I've had that as a daily habit. Uh, and instead, I listen to a chapter or two um, from whatever the verse of the day is on version. I've just found that's just a super easy um, way to you know, kind of cycle through and, and find uh, some new things to at least help me think about on on the road. And then uh, I've got a couple of uh, YouTube guys yeah. that I subscribe to and I listen to whatever they've got that just came down the pike. So I've switched over at least for yeah. that period of time. That's good. And probably won't until uh, <laughs> December of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> That's long. Okay, so Noel, talk to us about uh, the vision of your church and how you guys came to that point where you wanted to re-examine it, what that looked like, the process, and yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it, I think I can look back over the, you know, I've been in my present role for about 18 years. I've been at the church for about 27 the church has been around about 40 some odd years. Um, and I can distinctly point out several times where we were beginning to kind of get, this is going to sound really odd, but we kind of were starting to get blah or vanilla or starting to plateau. And then what we realized is we were missing being ourselves and we need mm-hmm. to go back to who we actually were. And I can just think of three distinct moments where we were like, you know what we need? We need to be ourselves. Why are we trying to be other people? Why are we trying to be other churches? Let's just be who we are. And this is the third time. And it was really uh, my sabbatical came on the end of a couple of years of us um, doing a lot of internal looking SWOT analysis. We knew that we were going to plateau both in attendance and giving for a season as we examined ourselves to make sure we were healthy. And so that, you know, was supposed to be like a year thing. It turned into almost three years. And coming off the heels of it, we began last fall to meet as an elder team um, and just say, okay, what would we 
believe that God would have in store for us? You know, just what is the next thing of the next five years look like? And what we realize it, and is what we want is more of the same. In fact, I'm going to do a series. Nobody knows this yet. I'm announcing it right here in case anybody listens, but we're actually going to do a series in the fall. Our vision series is to be more of the same, which sounds like the yeah. most boring thing in the world. But we're like, no, if this, if same is fantastic, if same is awesome, if same is life changing, if same is orthodox, let's have a lot more of that. And so what we're yeah. doing is we're leaning into who we are as a church. And so we just basically wrote a vision statement for the next five years that is all about being more of who we actually are. And we said, uh, and so this mo morning, it was actually, we met with the entire, uh, all of our directors and department heads and just said, okay, this is it. This is the next five years. This is what we're stacking hands on. Hmm. So can you... So, so it's all about being more of who. Yeah. Well, so, so, the, of, yeah, yeah. so the vision statement itself, it's really boring and basic, which is kind of what we're after. Um, but it's basically that Lord willing by 2024 Riverview will expand our gospel footprint by fervently adding disciples, groups, leaders, pastors, venues, and churches. And what we're saying is we want more open doors. We, we are both a come and see and a go and tell church. And we want to be more of that. We want to open doors and send our people to the community. We don't do very many ministries. We are very focused, but we want lots of doors open to the ministries because we want our people engaged in the community. So we're trying to have people spend more of their time outside our church than inside the church. Um, but we're expanding the number of types of groups we have. Um, we're looking to launch um, one to two new venues. We call our sites our venues in the next five years, as well as one to three new churches in the next five years so that we'll be on pace of planting one to three new churches every year from year six to 15. So okay. the idea okay. is uh, one of the guys used a wartime analogy that it's kind of like in World War II where they converted the auto plants into uh, making airplanes and ammunition. And that's kind of what we're doing. We're basically saying it's going to take us five years to really get our benches deep. But our hope is launching one to two new venues, one to three new churches, so that we're planting one to three every single year after that. And um, we, okay. we give a lot of money to church planting, but we've been planting about a church internally every two to three years. And we want to get to a point where we're planting one to three every year. Okay. So as our listeners know, Todd and I are also on the new churches Q and a podcast. So I, I have to ask this question because it's where my mind is going. How do you, how do you guys determine where a venue gets planted versus a plant? Yeah. So, um, the, the one thing is we have geographic bounds on our venues. And so this is a, a personal conviction, um, of mine. And so I think it kind of bleeds into who we are. I have a trouble dreaming of being a multi-site church outside of the Lansing area um, because I've seen, and this is, and guys that I love who, when their sites were bigger than a single geographic area, and um, they, in a sense, in their preaching, went from preaching to uh, a, a specific city and a specific person to a generic type of person. So I watched guys huh. lose their prophetic edge when they were no longer preaching to their geography. And so my wow. conviction is you lose that too much. You become a generic, like um, an author 
versus a pastor. Um, and so when I'm, mm. when I'm writing one of my books, I'm writing very different. I'm writing to my church, but I'm writing to it, understanding there's going to be a broader audience. The preaching changes. So for me, um, I don't want us to launch sites outside the Lansing area. So for us, one of the benchmarks is, do you say to yourself when you're traveling, I'm from Lansing. <laughs> and and that's a geographic area uh, of, of really three counties around Lansing where not everybody in those counties, but the ones that are closer to the center would all say, oh yeah, I'm from Lansing. If somebody asks where you're from, when you're really from Holt or you're really from Grand Ledge or you're really from Fowlerville, but you would just say Lansing because nobody's ever heard of those other places. Um, we all feel um, like Lansing people. And so that is where we plant our sites. Um, churches will plant anywhere. Now we primarily focus on Michigan um, as well as the Midwest. And um, we're also doing a lot of planting in Southeast Asia and I can't tell you where, but in Asia and in Brazil um, um, is so we give um, about 10 percent of our income. So, you know, we're given a chunk of change to church planting every year in all those places. But um, we define our church plant like one that we plant as a church that gets the majority of their people and the majority of their funding from Riverview. That's, that's, that's our plant. So then, cause so many people, it drives yeah. me absolutely bonkers. This happens in X29 all the time. You got nine people claiming the same church plant. They're like, oh yeah, we planted <laughs> this church and everybody lists the same one. And so you're like, Hey, we planted nine churches. No, you planted one. And so for us, we want to call the church plants, our plants, if we're the majority stakeholder in a sense. Um, and then okay. we still support like this year, we'll probably support 30 or 40 church plants, um, but we'll plant mm. one church. Okay. You know that I, I haven't heard it clearly as clearly articulated the why behind uh, venues versus plants as clearly as what you said. I, I love that because when, when the preaching goes from, you know, very specific to your area, to this place, to more of a generic and you're going that you that you lose your prophetic edge, and I definitely do see that. So if I if I understand clearly, if someone wanted to plant in Ann Arbor or Flint or Grand Rapids or Grand Rapids or Kalamazoo, I mean that that would be that would not be a venue. There, for there'd you guys. be no question that it wouldn't be a venue. In fact, we, yeah, we went okay. back and debated that a couple of times, and some of the pastors pushed a little bit, and we um, at one point we actually toyed around with the idea of planting a multi-site rural venue. So it would be, mm. the site would be multi-site from day one. So it'd be like three sites in three counties outside of the Lansing area that together had one single leadership team. So at the same time, we would essentially be planting three venues, but they'd really be one, but they'd be in our venue. And then we just decided, no, nope, that's too much. Um, and it just, it does, doesn't fit us. It, it you, again, my, my voice is not going to preach as well to that congregation and so we lose something. So our church wants to have a single voice and single voice, not being my mm. voice, a single vision, a single, it's because I'm, right. I, I preach only 60% of the year. So 40% of the year, it's other guys. If you go onto our website, I'm the minority preacher because for every time I preach, that only happens 60% of the year, 40% of the time it's live everywhere. So I, there's a lot more of the other guys be, out there than me. That's good. That's good. 
I, I think honestly, we'll probably have to uh, take what you just said and use it as a as an episode of on the new churches. Podcast. No joke, man. No and joke. We'll just we'll just chime in and and do you know commentary. <laughs> Done. <laughs> All right, let's move on to uh, question three, which is uh, first a caveat. Other than spiritual disciplines. Uh, what's one or two things you have to do every day to stay sharp as a leader? Uh, the two things um, that just kind of popped to mind when I saw that is the first is, um, and again, this came out of my sabbatical. Uh, I had been putting on a significant amount of weight over the years. I, I find when I turned 30, my metabolism slowed down. Then when I turned 40, it slowed down. Then when I turned 45, it slowed down. And I thought, uh-oh, because it's speeding up. Um, and I, one of my co-pastors, when I was getting ready for my uh, um, sabbatical, he said, Noel, he said, if you um, don't start working on your physical health while you're on your sabbatical, you might as well sit on the couch and grab a bag of Doritos because you're never going to do it. And um, it kind of kicked me in the butt. And so I began um, working out and found that working out in the morning keeps me super mentally sharp. And the way my schedule works, I can't do that every day. So I, I do three days a week of working out in the morning. And then on all the other days, I go for a long walk in the afternoon. Um, and um, sometimes it's, it's only five minutes, sometimes it's 45 minutes, but I leave the office around 2.30 and I go walk. Um, and being physically moving um, is, I'm finding an absolutely critical part of, of my leadership. The second one is, is I'm kind of a, I've gone back and forth on, um, you know, GTD. I'm sure you guys are familiar with getting things done and the full yeah, focus planner yeah. thing with Michael Hyatt and all that kind of stuff. But I've developed my own hybrid of those. And every morning um, I plan my day. So before I leave the office, I do a first draft of my plan for the next day. And then that morning, the first thing I do is I grab a cup of coffee and I replan the day. What am I going to work on? How's it going to work? What are the buckets going to be? What does the schedule look like? Um, and I, I do that with pencil and paper. I find that's much better for me than using a digital planner. That's helpful. And that's, that's really good to know about yourself too. So um, just before we get into the next question, which is what leadership in your home looks like, let's just listen to a quick word from our sponsor. Let's just hear a quick word from our sponsor for today and we'll get back into the interview. Do you ever feel like you don't know where to start with volunteer training? Or if you do, is it hard to get everyone in the same place at the same time? Well, Ministry Grid makes it simple to train every volunteer and leader in your church. With a library of over 3,500 videos and 800 courses, you'll find training for every ministry area and leadership level. From volunteers to leaders to ministry directors, Ministry Grid's scope and sequence of training makes it easy to know who needs what training. And here's the best news of all. For the month of August, you can get unlimited access to Ministry Grid for your entire your church for just $399 a year and you're locked into that price every year afterwards. So to take advantage of this incredible deal, just go to ministrygrid.com slash podcast to get unlimited training for $399. Once again, that's ministrygrid.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the interview. All right, Noel, what does leadership in your home look like? Well, I am in an interesting phase of life. So I've got four kids and uh, one just graduated college. Two are in college and one is in high school. So um, we are racing toward empty nesterdom. 
And um, what I'm realizing right now um, at home is um, my kids actually need a little bit more of my time than they've needed in a long time, but in different ways. And so um, Hmm. they're transitioning into adulthood. And so they really, they're needing from me kind of coaching into how to be an adult and it's a different way of being a dad. I think that sometimes people make the mistake of thinking that this means, oh, I'm no longer my my kid's parent. I'm their friend because the tone changes. But I think what it is, is you're just, you're doing parenting, you're doing adult training. Um, and so a lot of the time that I'm spending with my kids, so one of my kids, he and I, he's one of my college students, he and I probably talk on the phone at least three times a week. Um, and it's usually him calling me and he wants to just, talk. Mm. Um, and, uh, my daughter, um, works at the church, but she'll also pop in at our house and just, and, and be there. So we're finding a lot of the leadership is responding to what our kids are dealing with and training them in how to be adults, which is a really, it's a fun, fun phase. I think this next phase will be fun when they start getting married and having kids and all that. But this in-betweener phase has been, uh, it's been full of challenges, but it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So Noel, I'm hearing you in this and, and you're several years ahead of me. Well, thank you for pointing that out. Thanks for pointing that 10. out. Well, come on. <laughs> you got the gray in your beard, right? So <laughs> I have the beard. <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my eldest is 10 and you know, I'm kind of hearing what you're saying and you're like, and, and I'm like, man, I would love that. You know, I would love it if my, uh, college student aged kids were to talk to me like, you know, that often and, and, and that you would have that relationship with them. If, what advice would you give someone who has kids more my age, uh, you know, the, the age of my kids, what you could begin doing to sow seeds toward that end? Or is there anything yeah, I that would pops say out two things and, and, and I would take these with a massive salt lick, you know, um, because, um, yeah. you know, uh, you know, man makes his plans, but God directs his steps. Things happen. And sometimes we feel a lot of guilt and shame um, when our kids don't quote unquote turn out the way we think they should turn out. And we, th- and we feel that as parents. And so I don't want to shame anybody because you may do these things and nothing happens. So I really want to just throw that yeah, caveat. Yeah. The, the first thing is I've noticed and just in observing families in our church that when kids are little and they're little hellions, um, they usually don't have enough law in their life. And when teenagers are hellions, they don't have enough grace in their life. And we normally get it backward. When our kids are little, we're all about grace. We laugh at their stupidity and they do dumb things and they do it wrong and they disrespect somebody and we laugh at it. We give it grace. And then all of a sudden that kid becomes a teenager. They keep doing the same thing and we say, oh no. And then we clamp down on the law um, and we get it completely backward. And if you think about the gospel journey for each one of us, the movement is always from law to grace. And I think it's the same in our parenting. We start when our kid, when they're young with law And as they get older, we give them more and more and more and more grace. So by the time they're in high school, my wife and I, and and this is harder for my wife to do than it is for me, admittedly, she'll say, but I have to remind her we're in the grace season with our kids right now. 
which means we let them make mistakes. We let them do things. We let them make decisions. Our posture is more yes than no. When they're little, our posture should be no more no than yes. And, um, and I think that's the first thing. Cause then a, a posture of grace means your kids are going to want to talk to you. A posture of law, they're not going to want to talk to you when they're teenagers and older. The second yeah. thing is we developed yeah. a, a routine when our kids were young. And this is, I'm finding that this is incredibly odd. And, and it's, it's weird to me that it's odd that we eat dinner together and it's an expectation. And so parents, a lot of, we're noticing a lot of high school parents, they kind of go their separate ways and nobody eats together anymore. But from the time they were little, dinner time is sacred in our house. And we sit at the table and at the dinner table, we talk about our days. And we talk about, you know, what did you do today? Um, uh, you know, what were your trials? Just we talk about our day and everybody gets time to talk. And so some of them want to talk more than others, but you ask probing questions, you get the conversation going to the point that now we no longer have to prompt anything. Our college students are all college students in our same city still. They still come home for dinner quite frequently. And we have another guy who lived in our house who's on staff at our church. He lived our house for 11 months. He's a single guy. He still comes to our house for dinner. Um, and we have another kid, one of our kids' friend, he's at dinner a lot. And the dinner table is we just talk and talk and talk and talk. So the, the other day I noticed we were sitting there about an hour and a half after dinner, still at the table talking. And we've just developed that as our routine. So then when they go away to college, they're like, uh, they're used to talking to somebody about their day. And so they still call to keep talking. So I don't know if that, it just, it just, but it just, because that was part of what we did, they just keep doing it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So I think we're going to do, we're going to use a section of this podcast interview for our new churches podcast. For sure. And then I think I'll have to cut that out and put it on the in-between podcast that I do with my wife <laughs> because that's great parenting advice. So, so basically what you're saying is this has been pretty much a worthless pod inter- interview for your purposes. We've gone the wrong direction. <laughs> no, it's a three in one, man. I mean, no, we're we're going to get you in all, all of them. Yeah. It'll be all over the place. <laughs> Good deal. All right. So um, now we're getting into... Uh, our last question, which is, what would you tell your 20-year-old self about preparing to lead? And lead I would tell me <laughs> that slower-paced people are necessary. And I operate at such a high rate of speed, and I have such a high capacity with bandwidth for what I can get done in time that it frustrates me to no end when other people don't move at my pace. And I think I had to go through this process of the last, you know, 28 years of seeing that Mm. a, that those people are valuable and, uh, and not judging their slowness to, uh, and, and then not just begrudgingly accepting their slower pace, but to lean into what, I can learn from them and what they can bring to a team that I miss because of my pace. Um, a number of years ago, my ex, the guy who was my XP here at the time. The way he described um, our roles when we first came in is, and it was funny because it kind of changed over time. He said, he says, Noel, you are like a rally car driver 
And I'm the guy next to you sitting in the rally car with you, navigating, warning you when you're going to drive off a cliff. Um, and then over years, he said, actually, no, I don't think that's true. I think I'm actually the one driving, but you have your foot on the gas pedal. <laughs> and then we've got this other guy who's got his foot mm. on the brake. And we need all those people. We need the navigator, the guy going fast, the guy going slow, and just beginning to realize God really did structure us as different people as a good thing, not as something to be tolerated, but as a good thing. And there's so much wisdom in people who can process over a long period of time that I just lack because I make decisions so quickly. So I would just tell that kid, just, just let slower people guide the pace sometimes and don't control that pace. Good. That is, that's really helpful. Noel, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. It has been an absolute blast. You guys are awesome. Fantastic. Well, be sure to pick up a copy of his latest book, Wretched Saints. Uh, it's, um, it's, I guess, about grace, right? <laughs> what you were talking about before and, and what it looks like to be transformed by the relentless grace of God. It really is a, it really is a good book. Um, it helps me just understand grace from a different perspective as well. So I know it's definitely going to be helpful for you and, and for your church. So thanks, Noel. Where's the best way people can connect with you online? Uh, you can find me pretty much everywhere at Noel Jesse. So N-O-E-L-J-E-S-S-E, -S -S -E, because no one can spell my last name. Uh, unless you're on Facebook, then you have to find me under my last name because there's a a woman named Noel Jessica who got Noel Jesse on Facebook. So she she got, she beat me to the punch on that one. But uh, Noel Jesse everywhere, you can find me at noeljesse.com as well. Awesome. Deal. Thanks, we'll man. also include a, a link to Crucial Conversations in the show notes. That's a classic, classic book. Uh, and if you check it out, you'll see why. Man, that episode with Noel Hakenen, I can't say his last name. Hakenen? Heineken. Let's just say Heineken. Heineken. Noel Heineken. Yeah. <laughs> was awesome. <laughs> so he is a, he is a fantastic leader. Make sure once again, if you are interested in doing a plurality of leadership model and yes. leading your church, Riverview Church, Noel, he has been doing it for a long time. Or so growing a very large beard. Yes. <laughs> Man <laughs> exactly. made. Uh, and also check out the One Thing Podcast. They are part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network right. family. Right. Our friends, our mites from down under. <laughs> Scott Sanders and Derek Hanna. <laughs> I'm, it's I, amazing. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So get there. yeah, every episode they cover one topic at a time that's going to help you in your context. So just look up the one thing on your favorite podcasting app and subscribe today.